Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. On this vote, the yeas are 224 and the nays are 201. The motion is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Tax reform, baby. They got it through. They did it. Got to give the GOP credit. Buck Sexton here. Welcome to the Freedom Hut, my friends. They they finally, GOP Congress, they have an answer to what would you say you do here? We, we just cut taxes. $1.5 trillion for uh, 80% of Americans and perhaps have set in motion or will set in motion as soon as Trump signs it, which has not yet happened, but <laughs> that's going to happen. Uh, even in our very uncertain political climate these days, Trump's going to sign this thing. Although not clear when exactly yet. We don't know. We can't tell you exactly when, but it will be signed. It's going to happen now. They got the votes, made it made its way through Congress. They have put forward a tax cut that's the biggest uh, rewrite of the tax code in decades. And it's it's not a flat tax, not a fair tax, but it's a better tax code, which makes me happy to be sure. This is there's a lot of reason for us to be pleased about this. We'll talk uh, let's talk uh, about that in the show today. We'll also get into some of the testimony based on the reporting, which let's be honest is probably based on leaks from the closed door hearings about McCabe from the FBI. What that tells us, and we also have some other. Stories to uh, bring you up to speed with. We'll discuss national security a bit more in the second hour and talk about Nikki Haley saying that uh, the U.S. has taken names on the Jerusalem embassy resolution. I I like this. I I think this attitude that Nikki Haley's taking is great, which is really all these countries that want our help and all these different things. They they think let's understand what's going on here. They think they have a right to tell the United States where in a sovereign country, which Israel is, that wants us to move our embassy to a certain city. They think they have the right to tell us where we can and cannot have our embassy. It's a very telling thing that so much of the world, in this case, not it's not just within the uh, Arab Muslim world. It's also a lot of your, you know, a lot of European states get very uppity about this issue, a lot of European countries, uh, but it's telling how petty it all is. It's, it's really not about a, a peace process that's worthy of the name. It's just Palestinians in a constant state of agitation and hatred against their neighbors and the Israelis just saying, we're, we're sick of it. They, and I understand. And anyway, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. We will get back into that subject in the next hour. And I, I might even talk to you about Mosul, where the casualty count is, uh, I think, 9,000 enemy killed is what I saw today, which is substantial. Uh, that's the last major 
city in Iraq that was held by the Islamic State. Last important one. But let's get back into taxes here because the tax issue matters a whole lot. It matters because of the narrative the Republicans can now deploy and will that we voted for them, put them in office, they produced. They didn't give us everything we wanted, but they did something, and it's going to be good. It will help businesses. It will help hiring. As I've been saying to you, I'm in favor of this tax cut. I just want it to be the best tax cut it could possibly be. And I also didn't want us to be in a situation where we thought we were getting one thing and we got another. But this looks pretty good. All things considered, yeah, they carried interest loophole for hedge fund guys and private equity. They kept that in there, which is kind of a shame. And yeah, you know, there's some blue states where uh, high property taxes are going to really start to hurt. It's going to hurt. Uh, I don't know what it's going to do to the real estate market in New York and Connecticut and California, but it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to help. It is a reminder, however, and this is something that I, I wish... I didn't really know, but I'm not a homeowner. I never have been. There you go. I've just, I just graduated from a one-room domicile this year, so I now have two rooms. Yes! That's right. Easy street. Uh, I had been living in a one-room home for many years before that. And I would tell you that uh, once I speak to people who live in there, or when I've spoken to people who live in these high-property tax areas, I'm reminded that they don't really own their home. That's a misnomer. You rent your home from the government. You just don't necessarily owe money to the bank if you own it. And yes, you can sell it. But each year you're renting it from the government because you have to pay money for the right to have a home in that place to the government. Uh, Real fast, I actually know of three different people who paid off their homes, retired, and then had to leave the state of New Jersey because property taxes pushed them out. Yeah. There you go. You rent your home from the government. You don't really own your home free and clear, even when you've paid off your mortgage. By the way, that's that's a real problem. Uh, and, and Tyrone telling me that he knows people in New Jersey who, in retirement, have been pushed out of their homes. Like, so they work their whole lives, paid off their home, they own it, but they don't have enough fixed income to be able to stay in the home that they worked their whole lives to own because the government says they got to pay more money. So, I mean, in New, New Jersey, don't even get me started. There are like public school bureaucrats, not teachers, public school union bureaucrats in New Jersey who are making like 250, 300K. It's crazy what goes on in New Jersey. A lot of you are like, I know, Buck, I don't live in New Jersey. But the point is, this is, this is that's where people are, are going to feel the sting a little bit of this uh, tax cut package. But for everybody else, it's going to be good, uh, pretty much. It's, I discussed with you yesterday, 80% of Americans get a tax cut. The average cut is $2,140. 4.8% will get a tax increase. So that's overall uh, a very, very good thing. It's not thrilling to see that Republicans haven't done a better job selling this thing. Uh, I guess they figured that among themselves, they would get it done. And this is yet another situation to borrow from Nancy Pelosi. People are going to pass it to find or it's going to be passed and then we'll find out what's in it. That's that's somewhat true here. And the more people learn about what's in it, I think the more they're going to like it because it's tax cuts. But the GOP didn't do a great job selling this. And the Democrats are just they're off on another planet with this thing. I, I don't even know how they I guess they don't care that what they're saying is just demonstrably and and aggressively false. But that's what's happening. You had uh 
what is it, Congresswoman Spire, right? She's not a senator, right? Yeah, Congresswoman Spire saying the following. I mean, she, she got a whole Christmas theme going on here with how the GOP are a bunch of Grinches. So what we're doing here today is basically saying wealthy Americans, big fat Christmas present for you. Tiny Tim, we're taking your crutch away from you and all the other kids in this country. And we're putting a lump of coal into your Christmas stocking. She was actually holding up a lump of coal, everybody. How long do you think it took her staff to come up with that? gem of a little speech there tiny tim you got a lump of coal we had eight years of the obama administration obama started out with the house and the senate what did they ever do for the middle class they just i can tell you i can tell you what the obama administration the democrat party did for the middle class they made for a vast majority of you who get your health care in the individual market they made your health care really expensive and crappy and for all the rest of us, by the way, they've also just made healthcare more expensive and more difficult to reform in a way that would make things better. That's what they did for the middle class. Other than that, nah, not, not a whole lot you can point to. And allowed the continued influx of illegal immigrants to compete with labor. I should know people who say this, they go, oh, it's not true. Illegal immigrants don't compete for the jobs. They do the jobs Americans won't do. You can see there's a professor, I think his name is Professor, uh, might be Professor Rojas at Harvard, who's done exhaustive study of just this issue. And it turns out that illegal immigrants, yeah, if you live in Montana, illegal immigrants in Arizona don't affect the labor market that you're in. However, if you live in Arizona, it absolutely does. And it drives wages down. So it's a localized effect of a national problem. And that's how Democrats get, they go, oh, well, at a national level, this is what wages have done in it. They try to hide the football. They don't want people to know the truth. Um, but the truth here with their tax cut, with the Republican tax cut package, is that this is going to be a, a an infusion of capital into the country, uh, certainly into corporations. And you will have uh, AT&T was tweeting out today that there was a $1,000 bonus now coming for all 200,000 or so of their employees, which some are saying maybe has something to do with some merger or something but let's not worry about that right now shall we it's a thousand dollars for everybody sounds good to me and uh, hey even mitch mcconnell was in a good mood today last night the united states senate accomplished something really remarkable remarkable after years of work dozens of hearings and an open process we passed an historic overhaul of the nation's tax code It'll deliver real relief to families and small businesses all across our country. Real relief. I, I think it'll deliver some relief for sure. Uh, but it has to now have many of the effects, uh, the market impacts that we've been told that it would. I think it will. But Republicans need to get out there and make sure everybody understands they're giving people back more of their money. They're taking less away from the American people. This is a good thing. The whole issue of debt and deficit, I talked to you about it yesterday. We're going to just leave that leave that hanging for now. We're not going to get into it because, you know what, today's a little bit of it's a celebration. We're going to celebrate a little bit on the passage of this uh, historic tax cut. Paul Ryan is like, woo, he's so excited. I, I've never seen him so smiley. 
Um, and he's a happy guy, from what I understand. 844-900-2825. I also want to take a look back, because I'll probably forget to do this on Friday, because I just want to tell you Christmas stories and do action movie quotes and not really speak all that substantively about policy or what's happened the past year. Let's look at how the Trump presidency's been in 2017. From a from an accomplishment perspective, not like all oh, you know the fake news and the battles with the media and all that. That's been great. And not, oh, the Russia collusion stuff. We'll talk about that in the second hour. I mean, what has Trump as president gotten done? I'm, I'm wanting to talk to you about it because I know a lot of you already know this, but it's worth going over again. It's worth revisiting the accomplishments. And also, I'm starting to see a little bit, a li- not, not too much, but a little bit of a... Uh, a softening of the anti-Trump, never-Trump line from some conservatives because they're looking back, now that taxes, tax cuts have gone through, they're looking back at this year, and I know he's not Hillary is not enough. That That isn't enough, but this is a lot more than just being not Hillary. There's There's some real reason to be pleased with what's going on, and look, the country, country's doing well right now. Think about how well, before I even get into the accomplishments, think of how well the country would be doing if instead of a multi-billion dollar industri- you know, news industrial media complex, Democrat media complex, if instead of talking to us about treason and Russia collusion and all this, you're hearing about highs in the stock market, 4.1% unemployment, 3% growth this past year, hopefully higher growth next year. And all these companies that are looking to hire and get revved up and things get going. And we're not all bogged down in, you know, the president lecturing us on 37 genders or whatever. I mean, there's just a, a, a sense of sanity that we're getting from the government now with the cutbacks and regulations. A lot of stuff going on that I think is really good. We'll talk about some of that after the break and then maybe a little more on this tax cut package. I even had we got to hear from Trump himself. I'll give you some of that uh, some clips of the man himself after the break. Stay with me. This is going to mean companies are going to be coming back. You know, I campaigned on the fact that we're not going to lose our companies anymore. They're going to stay in our country and they're going to stay in our country. And you've been seeing what's been happening even at this prospect. But they have tremendous enthusiasm right now in this country. And we have companies pouring back into our country. And that means jobs. And it means really the formation of new, young, beautiful, strong companies. So that's going to be very, very important. Uh, The pass-throughs you know all about, and the small businesses are going to be big beneficiaries. We are going to bring at least $4 trillion back into this country, money that was frozen overseas and in parts and worlds, and some of them don't even like us, and they had the money. Well, they're not going to have the money long. And uh, so it's, it's really, I guess it's very simple. When you think you haven't heard this expression, but we are making America great again. You haven't heard that, have you? He just went MAGA right there. He just did it. Making America great again. Stop of the show. He's, it's, a, it's a happy day for Trump. Happy day for the GOP. And I'll give you some of the 2017 in review Trump's MAGA plans. How have they gone? Uh, in just a bit here, but first, Beverly in Florida on WFLA. Hey, Beverly. Hi, Buck. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Um, I just wanted to say that 
in a way, and it's so ironic, the congresswoman was right about the tax bill taking the crutch away from Tiny Tim. Hmm. Because it does take the crutches away from people and give them the freedom to walk on their own. Ah. All right. I see you're, you're taking this... Uh Taking this analogy and running with it. Uh, absolutely. All right, Beverly. Well, you so see, you're happy about taxes. Oh, incredibly happy about taxes. Who doesn't want more money in their paycheck? But, but you're in Florida. Is it a little rough with the property tax situation or not that bad? Actually, I'm a renter, so it doesn't affect me. <laughs> there we go. Booyah. <laughs> like it. All right, Beverly Shields. Hi. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, me too in New York. I'm like, you know. I got nothing to write off because I don't own anything. Uh, you know, Miss Molly, I, I was trying to watch a movie with her over the weekend. We're going, we just got a TV that, you know, I've gone from having like no TV to a small TV that was only internet to now like a big TV with a cable box. I've I've succumbed. And we're trying to watch A Christmas Carol. And she doesn't, she's never seen the story. She doesn't, I know she doesn't. I'm like, how have you not seen a Christmas Carol or, or, you know, the, I feel like I've seen the Muppet version, a cartoon version, a live version. It's, you know, this is, you know, God bless us, everyone, right? I mean, you know, come on. This is, I don't know, Ebenezer Scrooge. So I, I got to find the best version of it. The one that I was trying to watch with her was like Patrick Stewart, and it wasn't, it wasn't that good. If there's a better one, someone let me know what the best version of a Christmas Carol is. Maybe it's the Muppet version. Who knows? But I was trying to watch that over the weekend. Uh, John up in Alaska, K-E-N-I. What's up, John? Hey, Merry Christmas. I hope you have a very good Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas this to you tax, too, John. This tax relief will help everyone, in, and it will help everyone even in states where they have high taxes and uh, high um, property taxes. The reason is it will start making people wake up. Wake up how? Well... They're seeing that if you go to a liberal state like Massachusetts or New York City area, the amount of money squandered, the amount of uh, everything is uh, unbelievable. And when people start realizing they're having to pay for it entirely, they're going to start wanting a little accountability. But what I wanted to talk about, as you mentioned about McCabe, one of the things I had dealt with in Alaska on trying to deal with Ted Stevens, the FBI was brought in from Washington, D.C. They forbade local FBI to do anything. And they brought in their people and they said they were all, and I called them up and talked to them. And uh, I also worked for the FBI uh, through the years, but that's a whole other story. And they said they were only going after Republicans. How the hell can you do that? I laid before them illegal acts of Democrats. And they hmm. said, oh, they it. John, we're, we're, we're covering a lot of ground here, buddy, but unfortunately, we're, we're about to run into a break, man. I appreciate you calling in, and shields high to you. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you. Let's talk about 2017. Was it Trump-tastic? Has America been made greater, at least, if not great again? Uh, we'll talk about it. And 844-900-2825. Light up those lines. Be right back. You drop and think about it. This president hasn't even been in office for a year. And look at all the things that he's been able to get done by sheer will in many ways. And I just hope that we all get behind him every way we can. And we'll get this country turned around in ways that will benefit the whole world. 
but above all, benefit our people and bring us all to a realization of how really great America really is and how the rest of the world depends on us. Senator Orrin Hatch making some very good points here about the year in review when it comes to President Trump and his agenda and what's happened. Let's do a a quick just glance over what, and keep in mind, this is all stuff that only happened because Trump was able to defeat the uh, most unified Democrat media apparatus in in history behind a candidate, with the exception of Obama. I think Hillary would be number two in terms of how much the media wanted her to win. Obama was number one. And we look back at what happened. And here's what I think comes to mind. People have this thing now about but Gorsuch, but Gorsuch. Yeah, well, that's a big deal. It's more than just Gorsuch, though. You have a Supreme Court justice who is a constitutional uh, originalist. You have tax reform now. You have the cuts that everybody will feel in their pocketbook. You're going to have more money in your bank account now thanks to what Trump has done. And by the way, you probably have more money in your bank account in the future because of increased wages, assuming that all this happens the way it's supposed to and money comes back from overseas, repatriation, increased investment and hiring by companies that have more cash on the balance sheet because they're not paying it out in the form of taxes. And... Maybe, hopefully, higher wages, bigger paychecks, too. Not just the government taking less of your money, but more money in the marketplace to pay you. That's a part of this as well. Um, There is also, but on the notion of judges alone, 12 federal appeals appeals court judges have gotten through this year that Obama's put forward. Now, there was that guy recently who didn't do so well in his hearing. Okay, but he, hey, you know, the process worked in a sense. Have you ever tried a case in court? Do you know anything about the law? No. Do you know anything about this at all? No. Uh, that guy stepped down. He's not, he's not going to be a judge. But 12 federal appeals court judges have gotten through this year. It also reminds me of one of the enduring and very damaging legacies of the Obama administration is that I think about a third of the federal uh, judiciary at this point are Obama appointees, everybody. For a long time. Those are lifetime appointments. Guess what? That matters. You see how much it matters with the travel ban, right? Some of these judges out in the Ninth Circuit and elsewhere. Putting partisans on the bench has long-term implications for a whole bunch of things. We can't even, we can just begin to imagine. So 12 federal appeals court judges now. That's another check. Uh, We've withdrawn from the Paris Accord, which was just, Nonsense, right? We no longer have a president who in the national security strategy talks about the imminent threat of climate change. How imminent? Well, you know, in like 100 years, there's going to be like an extra three inches and two degrees. And, you know, it's going to be really bad. I don't think that's enough for us all to be deeply concerned right now, especially because they've been wrong and wrong and wrong again with all those predictions. I will never forget him. We don't have the audio now. It's just coming to my mind. But when President Obama told the, uh, I think it was the Coast Guard Academy at their graduation, that climate change poses like the most imminent existential threat to the United States, something along those lines. That was not a direct quote, but, and I just, wow. 
crazy talk. But a lot on the left were clapping. Oh, it's brilliant. So Gorsuch, tax reform, uh, 12 federal appeals court judges, and pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. There's also the elimination, which we just found out last week, of net neutrality. So there's that, which (laughs) I I have enjoyed a lot of the commentary online and on TV and elsewhere where people are saying, you know, if everyone's going to die from net neutrality, how could everybody also die from the tax cuts? It's a good point. If everyone's already dead, I don't know how the tax cuts can kill them because net neutrality is already, it's like uh, Mad Max out there because of net neutrality. You know, we're never good. It's never going to be the same for us. Until 2015, the internet was the Wild West, and then 2015 came along and the regulators like Wyatt Earp made it all better. Um, but that's not how that's not how it happened. You also have a huge number of federal regulations that have been either truncated or eliminated entirely. And very few, if any, federal regulations pass, which is a dramatic departure from the past. It is, in fact, true when you're talking about the federal regulatory machine, doing nothing is doing something. Because doing nothing is much better than continuing to strangle businesses and American ingenuity and entrepreneurship and freedom. Yeah, that's right. By coming up with all these laws by these bureaucrats sitting around, they're not laws passed by Congress, but they have the force of law. It's the fourth branch of government. I'm going to talk about the swamp. The bureaucracy is a huge component of the swamp. The unaccountable bureaucrats who decide that a pond in your backyard is a wetland, and if you don't get rid of it right away, they're going to fine you $30,000 a day as if anybody could actually deal with that. Anyone could handle it. It's just insanity. Uh, And then there's some other important federal actions that are either ongoing or that get less attention. Work at the uh, working to reform the VA. That's going very well. And there's just a lot of stuff here that we should be pleased about. And I think that because the media narrative has been so hysterically anti-Trump, even those of us who support the agenda sit around like, well, how has it really gone? Not Hillary. That's true. And that's great. But it's actually from a you if you are a conservative in this country right now and you look at what has happened in government, I don't mean tone. I don't mean tweets. I don't mean any of that. I'm talking about government action. Over, oh, the defeat of the caliphate, by the way. There's also that. I'm sorry that uh, I'm glad I called myself there. Those would have been ashamed, but I, I left that out and I should not have. But the defeat of the caliphate as well under this administration's on this administration's watch. So if you are a conservative who has had your misgivings about Trump, even if you're a conservative who to this to this day, you don't like Trump's tone, you disagree with his style, you disagree with his personal choices or whatever. But you're just looking at what has happened this past year, what the federal government, what the White House, the executive branch has done. I think if you're being fair minded about it, you have to be pleased. I know a lot of you are like, Bob, fuck, I'm more than a little pleased. Yeah, I know. But I'm speaking specifically now to that part of our conservative uh, brothers and sisters out there that they've been thinking they've been thinking oh i i just i can't accept it i can't abide a trump administration i'm i'm still never trump and you know really be honest about it and i think you have to come to the conclusion that it's been a good year for the conservative agenda it actually has 
not perfect. You know, people could talk about things that should have been done that weren't done. Obamacare. I know here Trump said it. And the individual mandate is being repealed. When the individual mandate is being repealed, that means Obamacare is being repealed because they get their money from the individual <laughs> mandate. So the individual mandate is being repealed. So in this bill, not only do we have massive tax cuts and tax reform, we have essentially repealed Obamacare. Uh, I mean, not really. Now, to, to be fair to what he said, he said essentially he did not say repealed because clearly they did not repeal and replace Obamacare because there was that whole effort to do it over the summer. It didn't work. Those of you listen to the show know we've been talking about that. Okay. But what the repeal of the individual mandate is, is a uh, it's put, it's putting in motion a series of events that will lead to either the repeal of Obamacare or just the enshrinement of Obamacare in, into law forever. Because what's going to happen is the exchanges, people are going to pull out of the exchanges because they don't have to get insurance. And those who don't really want to get insurance, usually the ones who are only doing it because they don't want to pay the penalty, they're younger and healthier. So they are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay out of this thing because we're not going to be paying, a, I'm not going to pay a penalty anymore. And what that means is that the insurance exchanges are going to have a higher proportion of people who are older and sicker, and the expenses will go up, and these things are going to crater really fast. This is kind of throwing gasoline on the already smoldering uh, reality of Obamacare exchanges, and it means that there's going to be a quite a fight ahead, because understand this. The pain in those exchanges and the skyrocketing premiums that will come as a result of this, and that will happen. It's not like they're going to say, yeah, see, freedom has been restored in the in the healthcare market now, for at least for individual plans. Obamacare, uh, Obamacare is terrible, right, guys? And Democrats are going to say, yeah, sure. No, Democrats are going to say that Republicans just sabotaged Obamacare and that now it needs money more than ever, and they're going to tell you all these cases of people that are going bankrupt in the exchanges or whatever, right? They're going to have all these stories for you. It's going to be a big fight. So to say it's essentially been repealed, no, it's forcing a showdown is what it's doing. And it, it is amusing to me to see all the different pundits out there saying, 15 million people, he's taking away their insurance. No, he's just saying you don't have to get it. There's a difference between stealing something from someone and saying that they don't have to buy it, right? If I used to have to buy a... Uh, I don't know, buy orange juice on the way into work every day because I was mandated by law. And now they say, Buck, you're no longer mandated by law to buy orange juice. They're not stealing orange juice from me. This is pretty straightforward. But that's the way it's being reported. Oh, they're stealing health insurance from 15 million people or 13 million people or whatever it is. No, they're just not making them buy it. If they want to buy it, they still can. But I will note, I would note that as people choose not to, more people will want to choose not to because... You're just going to have the death spiral within the exchanges get faster and faster and more and more extreme. So there will be a fight over whose fault that is and how it should be fixed. I hope Republicans are prepared for it. I am worried that their messaging game a little weak right now. Think about it this way. If they have had a hard time getting 
a majority of the American people on board with literally keeping more of their own money. Imagine what the debate will be like when it's Democrats doing all the fear mongering, all the scary stories and everything they're going to do from the health care exchanges. They're going to say this is because Republicans destroyed Obamacare. It's going to be a fight. So uh, it's not really repealed. The individual mandate will go away. But that means that these exchanges are unsustainable. And if Republicans say, oh, we're just going to shovel money into them because we have to because it's a short term fix. And that's what was being talked about over the summer, I would note. That's that's a a big betrayal of what has been promised and what would be done by this Congress. So we got to keep an eye on them. All right. Got a bunch of lines. Let me take some calls after this break. 844-900-2825. You want to join in on the fun. Next hour, we'll talk about what we can when it comes to the testimony of former FBI acting director McCabe. Is he the director? No, well, no. What's, he, uh, what's his title now? Anyway, he's a senior FBI guy. Whatever. We'll talk about what he had to say about the dossier and fusion GPS after the break. Stay with me. Oh, yeah. We've got some funky Christmas tunes going here. I like it. Take some of your calls. Uh, Brent in New Mexico, listening on the iHeart app. Hey, Brent. Hey, Buck. Shields high. Shields high, buddy. Hey, man, I'm pretty stoked about the uh, the tax reform. I don't know if you call it reform, tax tweak, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it gives me a couple of extra thousand dollars. I mean, I might be able to take my kids to Disney World or something. You know I mean? Hey, I'll You'll probably see Paul Ryan there because good. after today, he sounds like he's going to Disney World. Yeah, hell yeah. Speaking of Disney World, did you see the picture of that Trump bot at the... Uh, the Hall of Presidents. Have you seen that thing? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, you ought to Google it. It's pretty wild, man. But anyway, other than that, I just want to tell you, if you haven't seen it, Scrooge with Bill Murray. Tyrone had the same in the break. Tyrone had the same idea. He said, if you're looking for a fun version of A Christmas Carol to watch, Scrooge is a good one. Yeah, this hands down the best. Uh, begs a strong word, strong word, but I highly, highly, highly press my wife to watch that with me every year, man. It's a good one. All right, cool. I saw it a long time ago. I feel like my dad took me when it was in the theaters, but I, I don't really remember. But I'm a, I, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. Always have been. Always a lot of respect for that guy's body of work. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorites, too. All right, man. But I appreciate well, you taking my call, Buck. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Thank you for listening, and have a great Christmas. Uh, a Merry Christmas. Me, Meanie? Meanie in California on the iHeart app. Hey, Meanie. Hi, Buck. Uh, Shields High. Shields High. You're um, actually very nice, though. Pardon? <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead. Uh, so I wanted to let you know, so first of all, I'm more of a traditionalist on The Christmas Carol, and I like the version that was uh, where George C. Scott played um, Scrooge. But uh, the reason I wanted to call was to tell you there's a new movie out called The Man Who Invented Christmas, and it is the story of Charles Dickens and how he came upon writing the Christmas Carol story. Uh, events that happened in his life and, and people that he met in his life. And it kind of puts it together in a really neat package. It's not in a lot of theaters, but it's, I think it's well worth seeing. So it's in theaters now? or it's, it's, I mean, could I, yes. could I watch it on demand, do you know? Is it one of those things? No, you can't watch it on demand. You have to go to a theater, but you'll probably have to look on Fandango and find out where it's playing because it's in the smaller theaters. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Meanie. Have a Merry Christmas. 
One more thing, uh, Tommy Bear. We really want to see him back. 2018, he's back. You have you have my word on that. Great. All right, you have my word on Thank that. You. The bear, the bear is back. We've got some. This is perhaps where I could tell you guys we, we've got some uh, some changes coming in 2018 here on the show. A whole bunch of things. Uh, I've mentioned the history podcast. That will be really an addition to the show, but it'll be a it'll be a, an extension of what we're already doing here in the hut. Uh, we have a. Uh, I, I kind of have to wait on some of it to announce it until the new year, but there's there's things that things are in the works. Uh, this is it's been a great year here because of all of you, and that means that we have uh, latitude to make some changes and and have uh, the full support of uh, Premier, our syndicator, our bosses to do some things to bring you an even more exciting product in 2018. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I know that's that's really vague, you know. It's like I'm trying to sell you on a car that you can't see, and I won't tell you the price. But trust me, it'll be good. It'll be good when it happens. And I think I will have to check out some of these new new versions of uh, the Christmas Carol. So that's so funny, Miss Molly. I couldn't believe it. But then again, she found out recently. I've never seen. Check this out. Never seen the movie Grease. Never. I know you guys are freaking out. How is that possible? Especially for a kid that really grew up watching a lot of movies, never saw it. And I know the songs and everything because, you know, who doesn't? Never seen the movie. People are always like, yeah, I love John Travolta in Greece. And I'd be like, yeah, me too, just because I don't want to be left out. All right, FBI testimony, McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, the dossier, le dossier. We will talk about that and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Some national security coming at you in the second hour today. And that means you just got to wait through this break, and we'll be right back with it. So uh, don't touch that dial. So huge tax cuts passed today. Well done, Congress. Well done, GOP. That's the biggest story by far. It's going to help with the economy. It's going to put more money in your pockets. Lots of reason to celebrate this and is a, a really great way for the GOP to be heading into the new year. The optics of this are very powerful, very strong. But something else happened today that I wanted to talk to you about a bit. And that is that former acting current deputy director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Andy McCabe, he spent eight hours today behind closed doors with the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee. And he was asked all kinds of questions about the dossier. Now, We don't know, but it has been suspected for a while that McCabe, whose wife was running as a Democrat in a House race around the maybe a year before, around the time of the election uh, and got a lot of money from the DNC and had close ties to Terry McAuliffe, governor of Virginia. And McCabe, I'm guessing is Democrat, too. Right. We all know this. Okay, so McCabe has all these ties. To the various figures in the Hillary email investigation, as well as the Russia collusion stuff that's out there. And he was behind closed doors for eight hours today, and we don't yet know. All that much because the FBI and this is not surprising to me at all. The FBI and the DOJ are falling back on one of the government's 
favorite tricks, which is when pushed into a corner and asked, even in a closed door setting where they can discuss classified for information, they either say that they can't talk about it because it's an ongoing investigation elsewhere or they don't know, they don't recall. And we have some reason to believe that, or we have some reporting that that is exactly what happened today. Uh, Molly Hemingway, who is a Fox News contributor, shared this earlier today. McCabe couldn't recall, quote, despite reported existence of docs with his signature establishing his knowledge of the dossier's financing and providence, end quote. They asked McCabe behind closed doors. Did you guys, did the FBI pay money for the dossier? Which is a question that, that that's a yes or no. This is, this is pretty easy. You know, if I asked any of you, did you have a ribeye steak tonight for dinner? That's a yes or no. It's not a, I'm not sure. And if you had a ribeye, by the way, good choice. Probably my favorite cut of meat. But he said, he, McCabe said he didn't know about the dossier. McCabe said, sorry, couldn't couldn't figure it out. And then there's also reporting on Fox News that McCabe couldn't. And look, these are, I, these are leaks, but these aren't damaging leaks, right? There are leaks and there are leaks. Should people be talking about what was said behind closed doors in the Senate Intelligence Committee meeting? Technically, no. But are these leaks that will endanger anybody or anything? No, right? This is just what's going on. At least from what I've seen so far. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not privy to all the leaks, but from what I'm seeing here reported, this is pretty small-time stuff. In fact, it's just leaks about non-information in a sense. It's leaks about information that was not gathered, and that in and of itself tells us a lot here. When asked if McCabe could give one single allegation Uh, credibility from the dossier. Remember, this is the dossier compiled by Fusion GPS, paid for by the Hillary campaign, by the DNC, to discredit Donald Trump, that could, and I think most likely was, uh, could have been the basis for the whole counterintelligence probe, all the stuff that you've seen about these Russia ties and and the collusion and everything else. Because they've already been shaking the trees, as they say, turning everything upside down with investigators for months, spending millions of dollars and haven't been able to give us one single bit of actual, real, bona fide Russia collusion. Right. Nothing. But the dossier and all of its allegations, which include some really people keep describing it as salacious. It's a word that's been used a lot more this year because of the. People know what a dossier is, and they know what salacious is, and they also know what a certain type of shower is now because of the of this whole situation. And they couldn't verify any of it, which is an interesting thing for them to have to say, especially given that this may very well have been the basis for all of this. And I think the FBI at the top level has got to be pretty scared now because this would be, let's just assume for a moment, it comes out that the FBI paid $50,000 for this dossier, which was already paid for by the Clinton DNC, right? So they would be paying for oppo research. The FBI would have been duped into taking oppo research during a presidential campaign using that opposition research that they had paid money for, if that is in fact what happened, 
as the basis for actual investigatory steps, including using the resources of the intelligence community to try and verify this stuff. And then when they didn't find anything or they didn't find what they needed, selectively leaking information they had gleaned from that process to undermine and hurt the incoming administration. Most notably, the leak about General Flynn's phone call, this ambassador, Russian ambassador, Sergei Kizilyak. Kizilyak, it's fun to say. So, there's a lot riding on the provenance of this dossier. There is a lot that's at stake. And that you had the, uh, you had Rosenstein, number two at DOJ, saying, sorry, I, I do know if the FBI paid money for it, but I will not say it because there's an inspector general. See, this is what I mean. There's always the pivot. Oh, sorry, Congress, can't tell you because the inspector general is looking at it and I don't want to interfere with that investigation. Oh, it's rather convenient, isn't it? But for eight hours behind closed doors, they were asking McCabe questions about this. And when all said and done, we will find out if the FBI paid money for this. And I think we're going to find out a whole lot more about the political biases of various figures involved with both the Hillary email investigation and the Russia-Trump collusion debacle. You have to think about it this way. Once they had already made the decision, going back to that series of events that I laid out for you, right? Dossier, Hillary pays for the dossier, or rather the DNC. I'm not going to say like Hillary's like, I'll pay you. But the dossier gets paid for by the DNC. This guy, Christopher Steele, runs around Russia, is talking to all these people. They say all kinds of stuff, nasty stuff about Trump. None, none, none of which has been verified to this day. But anyway, they, they come back after getting all that information. And then they go to the FBI because a Fusion GPS employee also happens to be the wife of a senior DOJ official. So it seems to me that Orr's wife, may, who worked for Fusion GPS, may well have said to him, yeah, look, there's this dossier that we've got. You guys have got to take a look at this. This is really, this is really some stuff. And as a bunch of Trump haters, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is all really believable. And then the FBI takes it and they go, okay, well, not only is this the basis maybe for a counterintelligence investigation, but do they take that to a FISA court? People have been asking that question. And then they open that, that when we're talking about a counterintelligence investigation, understand that means they're bypassing all the standard protections that U.S. citizens would have for communications abroad. Right. They're, they're getting around those usual Fourth Amendment protections because it's not, it's not there's not a criminal predicate. It's a counterintelligence investigation. So if you're speaking to people abroad, right, that changes the story all of a sudden. And that's how you can get conversations picked up, you know, Flynn and Kizilyak and these other things. Uh, so if they used the dossier to do that and then they went all the way with it and, and picked up all this information. And they're assuming the whole time, keep in mind, that Trump is going to lose. And so Hillary would come into office then and it wouldn't really matter, right? They were on a fishing expedition. Maybe they could help Hillary think about their perspective. Maybe they could have helped Hillary, the DOJ and FBI officials involved in this, help her push it over the line, right? Maybe they were in a position where they could say, oh, by the way, you know, something gets leaked that destroys the Trump campaign and make sure Hillary wins. Then all this stuff about the dossier, it never comes out. 
Think about which way the gamble would have gone here. Everyone thinks Hillary's going to win. So they're looking at all this information. They figure they've got, they're going to nail Trump on something. All it takes is one leak of really damaging stuff, which they never really got. And that could ensure Hillary wins. She becomes commander-in-chief. Guess who gets the, guess who gets the hero treatment then? Anybody involved in DOJ or FBI in that whole process. And they know the, the dirty side of it's never going to come out. So, there you have it. Right? What I just laid out to you makes sense. What, what other people talk about, oh, the Russia and WikiLeaks and everything else, doesn't make sense. I don't even see the pathway they're trying to draw here. And that's why McKay behind closed doors today and uh, or yesterday is... So interesting, although I would note that a lot of like, I don't know, a lot of can't give you an answer on that for things that they certainly have an answer on. So will we will we ever really get to the uh, the bottom of what was done at DOJ and FBI to try and subvert the Trump campaign and, and hand it to Hillary? I'm hopeful, but I'm not certain. That's where that's that's the best that I can give you on this right now. I would ask you to really think about the series of events that I described to you and whether at least that's plausible and and then look at what we already have information where we can fill in the gaps. We have facts that we can use to support that narrative versus the other narrative, which is that there was like some meeting in Trump Tower where they said they had information. There was no information and who cares? Right. I just. And so what? But that's Russia collusion? No, there had to, there had to be something else. So what was that something else? Anyway, I'm 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 certain at some point, my friends, we will get to we'll get to that place where Democrats will never admit they were wrong. They'll just focus on something else. There'll be some other shiny object, and it'll be oh, you know, Trump is the emoluments clause. Yeah, that'll get him out of office. The moment they have a majority in the House, they will impeach him, or they will begin to get in the process of impeaching him. It will happen because they don't have a they don't have a compelling enough candidate or platform to oppose the Trump agenda, especially given what we've seen this past year. And they're still running stories. I'm literally sitting here with you and they're running stories on CNN about firing Mueller would be a gross abuse of power. He said he wasn't going to fire him a few days ago. How is this even a story? Senator Mark Warner is just warning everybody. Oh, it all would be a gross abuse of power. It's like, actually. No. Actually, no. It's not going to happen. All right, team, we're going to roll into a quick break. We'll be back. We're going to get into some national security here in a few minutes. Stay with me. Just on the subject of taxes, I know it's a great day. It's a celebration. Tax reform, tax cuts gone through. But there was an exchange earlier today that I meant to play for you, and I, I want to make up for that miss right now where you have – see, this is one of my problems with – the format of a place like the Today Show, formerly known as Matt Lauer's, I don't know, Love Grotto. I mean, you know, the, the, the Today Show with Matt Lauer. Yeah, I know, but, you know, but he earned that one. I mean, uh, it is a place where one moment they're like, hey, like, let's all make the best scalloped potatoes for summer. And then the next minute they're like, excuse me, uh, Mr. President, uh, I want to ask you a serious question. It's like, come on. Come on, guys. I, I look, look, it makes like a half a billion dollars a year in revenue, so they know something I don't, I guess. But doesn't mean they're smart. just means they know what they're doing when it comes to advertising sales and getting people to watch. So Savannah Guthrie, who, you know, 
I wonder. I don't know. What, what does Savannah Guthrie know about anything? It's a fair question to ask. I'm not clear on it. But she decided to go toe-to-toe with Paul Ryan and not just toe-to-toe on the issue of taxes because, look, she's an American citizen. She wants to ask some tough questions. She's a, she's a journalist. Uh, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, Paul Ryan's kind of a numbers guy. It's sort of what he does. But she even asked him, she even got a little, she got a bit saucy, a little sassy with the Speaker of the House today. Let's play that clip. Not only are we going to let you bring your money back from overseas, which is trapped overseas, we're going to tax you at a rate that is that is on par with the rest of the world. Gotcha. But we're going to give you an incentive to invest in American jobs and American businesses. You can write off your investments if you do it in America. And the studies are really clear. Workers benefit. Wages go up. More jobs occur. Are you living in a fantasy world? Are you living in a fantasy world? Now, there was more to that question. She she was quoting a but but a woo. Are you living in a fantasy world? That's not really uh you see, this is where the, this is where the, the bias and the influence of the Democrat media comes out, right? That that's not a question they would ever ask. You know, what Obama was saying about health care, about Obamacare, we're gonna give more people health care, it'll be better health care, and it'll be cheaper health care. Nobody was ever like, you know, that's kinda like telling somebody that we're gonna come up with a a jelly donut that you can eat that costs you less than jelly donuts normally cost, and you can eat as many of them as you want, you won't gain any weight. It just doesn't work that way. It, it's, that's just not reality, right? Uh, but Obama was saying that about health care, and it wasn't reality. You're not going to be able to cover more people with better health care at less cost without changing anything else other than just saying that, that it will be so, and with redistributing the already existing health care resources, which is all Obamacare is. Obamacare is a redistributive mechanism. It's taking for some to, from some to give to others. It's it's social justice via health care. That's the shorthand, but that's the truth. Back to Paul Ryan, though, and Savannah Guthrie. Oh, she said before that, are you living fantasy land? CEOs aren't waiting on a tax cut to jumpstart the economy. A favorite phrase of politicians who have never run a company or to or to hand out raises. It's pure fantasy to think that the tax bill will lead to significantly higher wages and growth. And that was from Michael Bloomberg. She was quoting Bloomberg. And then she said to him, are you living in a fantasy world? Um, So uh, Paul Ryan pushed back on this. He said that surveys show the vast majority of businesses are going to do just what we say, reinvest in their workers, reinvest in their factories, pay more people, higher wages and uh, more money. I just would note, I wish that Paul Ryan's response here wasn't, a survey says, I wish it was, let's take a company, Savannah. Let's, and, you know, let's take the, the great widget factory of Omaha, where they make widgets, right? Which is not a thing, but, you know, that was what came to mind. Um, you know, they, they make, let, let, let's, let's even give it something else. Let's say uh, the great, I don't know, the great hat factory of Omaha, right? So they, they've got costs and they've got, They've got expenses running the business. They've got employee. They've got payroll. But they they export hats all over the world, right? And they've even set up they've even set up some hat factories in uh, you know Guatemala and Malaysia because it's cheaper there. And so they're they're doing their hat thing. And now they might be bringing back some jobs into Omaha. Because they won't be making hats. It's not as profitable for them to make hats overseas, although that's mostly you'd make them in Guatemala and Malaysia for labor reasons, not for tax reasons necessarily. 
you get the idea, right? I just wish Paul Ryan, who looked at the numbers all day, would walk us through a case study. I think that's a much more powerful way to explain to people about how their wages will go up than just to say, well, the surveys say, you know, come on, Paul Ryan. She just she just called you out. You know, she said you're living in a fantasy land. She's hiding, she's hiding behind Michael Bloomberg's words while she does it. But I just wish Ryan was a little. This is the thing with Republicans. And it's one of the things about Trump that we, we really need to keep in mind. That they're not good at they're not good at the uh, at the war of words. They really aren't. Most of the time, you know, Mitch McConnell, these guys, you look at Pelosi and Schumer. Yeah, they're liars. Wildly dishonest. But Pelosi's out there like people are going to die because of taxes. And you know what? Some people believe that crap. Chuck Schumer's like, this is terrible. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Chuck Schumer says it's terrible. Meanwhile, you got Paul Ryan who's sitting there who's like, well, if you look, if you measure EBITDA, then you take that off from the off balance sheet expenses of a company. It's like, no, Paul. She came at you. You got to come back with some noise. You got to. Yeah, it just wasn't strong enough for me. It just wasn't. On that on that exchange, it's a no from me, Paul Ryan. But tax reform went through. Let's talk about national security, my friends. Our buddy Stephen Yates is online. He is the CEO of D.C. International Advisory. He formerly served in the White House as deputy assistant to the vice president for national security affairs. Stephen Yates, great to have you. Great to be with you, Buck. All right, Steve, talk to me about Nikki Haley and this uh, the, the taking of names, as she has put it, on the U.N. resolution and Jerusalem. I, I like this. Oh, I love it. Uh, and I think the idea of accountability arriving at the United Nations is refreshing and, as we both know, depressingly new as a concept. Uh, but, frankly, a lot of our competitors and adversaries over the years have been taking names and pushing their agenda. And it's about time America stood up and said, you know, we've got a policy. We have sovereignty. We're recognizing the capital of another sovereign state that happens to be an ally. And if you're going to go against it, we're keeping names. Uh, and, frankly, you're a bunch of hypocrites, given that every member of the body is a nation state that shows its own capital. It's kind of amazing to me that, that we're at a point, Stephen, in the uh, Israeli-Palestinian issue conflict uh, that the, the the international community or whatever it may whatever we want to call it seems to believe that they can tell the United States where our embassy can be. That that's it just seems like such a a nonsensical position for them to hold. We can put our embassy wherever we want. Correct, and we usually try to play nice, and we'll go where the host nation would like it to be. But other than that, really, it's no one else's business. And you know, we have a couple of parts of the world where. Uh, the alleged educated classes force the rest of us, if they're lucky, to suspend disbelief and pretend we can't see with our eyes or hear with our ears and judge facts on the ground. One of them is in the Middle East with this conflict, and the other is in China and Taiwan. And we're supposed to just ignore who really has sovereignty and who has control and where a democracy is and just listen to what the experts tell us. Uh, but I think in this case, We've got a president and a U.N. ambassador that are speaking squarely from common sense facts with the American people behind them and probably with a lot of the world saying, yeah, what are the rest of you guys talking about? This is Israel's capital. Stephen, the the situation with China came up in uh, multiple parts of Trump's national security strategy, which was unveiled earlier this week in which he gave a speech about. And, and the focus tends to be on 
how we can deal with China economically without riling them up too much politically because we kind of need them on North Korea and some other things. What what would you advise the Trump administration in 2018 to do vis-a-vis China that we are not already doing or that we need to do a lot more of? Well, first, uh, you know, having somewhat been in the arena, I would give some deference to the people who have to make the tough calls on how to manage risk. Uh, but as one of my friends once said, the further I get away from real responsibility and decisions of the White House, the clearer the solutions are and the more the brilliance of my ideas become clearer. So I think I, ha- I can see much more easy solutions to North Korea not having the responsibility. But they've done a lot of the things to right the wrongs of the past. First, they haven't taken the bait on trying to buy the threat again. Uh, This was tried in the Clinton administration and the Bush administration, both times spectacular failures. So they've at least first done no harm. They've put more sanctions in place. I don't think we're going to sanction away a North Korean nuclear threat, uh, but there are the right policy moves. Uh, Ultimately, you have to put pressure on China, and that's the judgment call they have to make. Uh, how much risk are we willing to play in our economic relationship with China in order for them to feel enough pressure to alter their national interests with regard to North Korea? And so far, no one has been able to find that formula. When people talk about pressuring China, and they say often to pressure China to pressure North Korea, right? So it's like a transitive property of pressuring here. But if we're looking for levers to get changes in Chinese behavior economically, what 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 is that? I mean, I've heard people say I've had other experts on the sh- on the show in the past, even who would say that we're in a one way trade war. We just refuse to admit that. Do you think that's too much? Is that is that true? Do we respond in kind? I mean, what what is our leverage with China economically? Uh, access to our market, access to the fin- international financial system. Uh, and it's basically the reputation of their state-owned enterprises, including their financial institutions. Uh, and those are, you know, that's a little bit of a word salad, so my apologies to the listeners. But what it really comes down to is the one time we really had measurable movement on China's part is when we made any financial institution with exposure to North Korea a potential money laundering concern. And that was jargon that would have denied Chinese financial institutions access to United States markets. And that gets their leaders' attention. Uh, And the problem was we sold that back to them at too low a price. The price was resuming multilateral talks instead of some kind of actual denuclearization. Uh, So at this point, how far, given how far their programs have gone, I don't know that we can expect denuclearization. Uh, we're really looking at how do we mitigate threat and how do we improve some sense of deterrence and missile defense, uh, which will always be imperfect. We're speaking to Stephen Yates, who's CEO of D.C. International Advisory, formerly uh, in the White House as Deputy Assistant to uh, Vice President Cheney. Uh, Stephen, what, what is the national security issue that, would if, if you were close to the corridors of power again, if you were next to the decision makers as you used to be, what are you worried about in 2018? Well, for me, I, we, we still have this problem of uh, our borders are getting more secure, but they're still porous. We still have too many people who have overstayed. We don't know with enough surety who's in our country and what they're doing. 
and I still am very, very concerned about people who have been radicalized, uh, who can do small or large things to disrupt our transportation and power networks and conduct small, small-scale terror inside the United States. And I think that was always something at home is always going to burn the brightest and hardest. Overseas, I just think that the multitude of challenges that China presents is going, is going to be the biggest challenge in 2018 and the years going forward. It relates to North Korea, but it's not limited to that. It's trade, it's commercial espionage, it's territorial claims, their military modernization, proliferation, uh, and basically their aim to basically do whatever it takes to take us down a notch and gain influence and primacy. And I think that that remains the single largest strategic challenge for the United States. And just one more for you, Stephen. The Mideast, I think that it's interesting that the Trump administration doesn't spend more energy and time, and I've not been critical of this, but just as, as, a, as a free suggestion that they're not going to listen to, the caliphate has been defeated on Donald Trump's watch. I think they should make more of that. There was some talk about that today uh, when Vice President Pence had his turn to speak when the congressional leadership joined the president to celebrate the tax reform. Uh, And that is the first very clear call saying, yes, their caliphate's capital has been decimated, and uh, this is a major, major accomplishment. And really, since it's that time of year, if you look back at this year, that movement on ISIS, uh, this tax reform, deregulation, a Supreme Court justice, this is an incredible year of political accomplishments if you could just filter the distractions out along the way. Totally agree. Stephen Yates, everybody, CEO of D.C. International Advisory. Follow him on Twitter at YatesDCIA. Stephen, uh, great to talk to you, my friend. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Looking forward to having you join us more in 2018. Thank you, Buck. My pleasure, and Merry Christmas to you, too. All right, team, uh, when we come back, we're going to go from uh, the expertise and insights uh, that we just heard to the food fight online right now that involves uh, people going back and forth with Rosie O'Donnell, who it seemed to some of us kind of sort of maybe tried to bribe a couple of U.S. senators today when it came to the tax reform vote by offering them millions of dollars on Twitter. Oh, oh yes, we will go there. We will discuss. And then third hour, we've got a whole lot more lined up for all of you, including North Korea stealing Bitcoin. Talk about it. Stay with me. I don't know what's more annoying that Rosie O'Donnell offered on Twitter to bribe a couple of U.S. senators with regard to their votes uh, over the tax bill or the fact that Rosie O'Donnell probably actually does have millions of dollars with which she could theoretically bribe U.S. senators. She's got bank. I don't know how. I haven't seen her. Ty knows. I haven't seen her anything in forever. And yet she's she's got a lot. She's got a lot of cash stashed away from, I guess, the night. I guess she had a big 90s. She was big in the 90s. That talk show was number two to Oprah every single year she had it. It was huge. What? That Rosie show was the number two talk show every year she was I on. had no idea. I do, I do not watch daytime talk stuff like it that. It was before she got political. Right. Wow. That's amazing. She's number two to Oprah? So, yeah, she's got cash to burn, which, if we're going to talk about the whole 
mens rea component of this offer, you know, that that the ability to actually follow through on a conspiracy or to to uh, engage in it in the acts necessary for a conspiracy to be taken to fruition are legally important. Here's what happened today. Rosie O'Donnell uh, sent out some tweets late on Tuesday night, and she offered two Republican senators two million dollars in cash. This is what the tweet said. It's on Twitter for everybody to see. She's, I'm sure she's got over a million followers. Right? I mean, she's got a huge number of followers. Which, by the way, what is wrong with this country when I see some of these people that have millions of followers? I'm like, who are who wants to know what Rosie O'Donnell has to say about anything? But Tyrone just told me she was crushing it and talk television for. Uh, or Dayside TV for a long time, which I don't even know. So, okay. Uh, I was busy doing other things, apparently, while Rosie O'Donnell was doing her show. Uh, she said this on Twitter. So how about this? I promise to give $2 million to Senator Susan Collins and $2 million to Senator Jeff Flake if they vote no. No, I will not kill Americans for the super rich. No profanity word. $2 million cash each, she wrote, telling the lawmakers that uh, she would send them a direct message in uh, on Twitter if they were interested. As we know, that didn't work. Senate Republicans pushed it through 51 to 48. But some people were pointing out that this is a problem, uh, that offering to bribe, offering to bribe members of the Senate is highly illegal. You could actually get 15 years in federal prison for it, and you can get enormous fines. But as we've just discussed, apparently fines wouldn't do that much to deter Rosie O'Donnell. Now I know what people are going to say. I know that uh, they would respond, oh, she was kidding. Okay. I mean, we, you know, we can take that position. We can say to each other, oh, no, she must. it must have been a joke because nobody would be that dumb. But... At the same time, who would be so dumb as to write such a tweet? Uh, I did see the exchange uh, with it was Ben Shapiro pointed out to her on Twitter that this was very illegal. And she wrote back a, uh, a rather profane response to, uh, to our friend Mr. Shapiro. And it got a lot of attention on Twitter. But th- this is just a- another instance of – remember when I was talking to you yesterday about – the social signaling is kind of a is a term that sounds like I'm in a sociology class somewhere, but the the tribalism and the perception of cool the Democratic Party has created, and that it really has fused itself into the synapses of so many of these celebrities, such that a really rich celebrity like Rosie O'Donnell, who the tax code changes will not matter to her one way or the other in any meaningful sense. And she has no idea really what the different points of the tax code are. She just knows Donald Trump is going to sign it. Republicans are doing it. Therefore, it must be bad. And she's going to share that with millions of people who will also come to that incredibly uh, uninformed conclusion. And that's how you get 50 percent or I don't really believe those polls, but you get a pretty large percentage of people overall who are of the mindset that this tax cut is bad. I mean, Democrats have been able to convince, with the help of celebrities and other nincompoops out there, that a little bit of your money 
going back into your pocket is a bad thing. Which if you asked anyone on the street, as I've been saying, you said, would you like a little more money? The answer is yes. Would you like $2,000, which is the average, they say, for a middle-class family that they'll get back under this tax? Find me somebody that's walking around on the street that you say, would you like an extra two grand in cash? They would say, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. That's a terrible idea. I have no, no interest in that at all. Yet, if you walk around and say, hey, what do you think of Donald Trump's tax plan that will give you $2,000 in cash in your pocket when it's enacted? Uh, they'd say, well, you know, I saw Rosie O'Donnell say it's really bad. You know, I trust Rosie. The, the, the problem with our, our celebrity culture is that now we are all so saturated in media all the time that all of the dumbest Hollywood celebrities – who have enormous followings, which is a, a failing of our culture, I will say. I have never, and this is way before I was in media, too. This isn't like, oh, you know, why I want, you know, 15 million followers. Like, I want Lady Gaga's number of followers. I mean, obviously, I do. That'd be cool. But the point I'm making is that even before I did this, I never would have cared what any of these people said about anything. Yeah, sure. W- will I go see movies that have, you know, w- would I go see a Matt Damon movie, even though I think Matt Damon is... Uh, politically an ignoramus, sure, because I don't care what his politics are. But that's also why I would never follow him on social media and care about the latest you know, flights of whimsy from Matt Damon's mind. I just have no interest. Why do people care? I, it, it's it's a frustration for me. And uh, Rosie O'Donnell getting all this attention. I know, in a sense, I'm I'm part of the problem in that I'm talking about Rosie O'Donnell and that she shouldn't really matter to any of us at all. But it was kind of funny to see that I, I will tell you this. I don't think she meant to bribe those senators, but I don't think she realizes that it's a that that it's a 15 year federal prison sentence for doing that. I bet she had no idea. So while I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, that she wasn't actually going to give them each two million dollars, which I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt on that. I promise you, if somebody had been like, hey, Rosie, what do you think would happen if you actually tried to do that? She'd be like, you know, I'd. Slap on the wrist, you know, no, no, no big deal. It's like, nope. Actually, it's like really serious prison time. Like you're going away for a long, a long while. Um, it will make the hiatus of her fame since her show in the 90s or whatever look like nothing in comparison. So there you have it. Rosie O'Donnell offering to ingest, bribe some senators. And now I see James Clapper's back on CNN. They, they cannot... They cannot get enough of James Clapper on CNN. Just the, the, the more Trump derangement syndrome former officials they can put on air, the happier they will be. It's, it's really appalling. Um, I've been very upset to see – well, not upset. I don't get upset about these things, right? Now I sound like a snowflake myself. But it's been very annoying to see some of the analysis out there about Clapper and how – Trump is being handled by Putin like a Russian asset. Uh, it's it's just gross. All right, I'm going to talk about uh, let's talk about North Korea and Bitcoin. It's going to be a wild ride, so stay with me for that. You are now entering the Freedom Hub Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck brief. North Korea. I spoke to you yesterday about North Korean hacking operations and the concerns that continue uh, and and actually just get worse all the time 
about how North Korea is trying to use cyber operations as a way of not just engaging in offensive military operations and trying to commit uh, espionage and steal uh, state secrets, trade secrets, whatever they can. I mean, the North Koreans are out there trying to pilfer information and also trying to get their uh, get their bank account to go higher. Uh, this is the latest we've got, though, and it involves Bitcoin, which has had kind of a wild ride from what I understand this week in terms of the price. Uh, Bitcoin is either uh, symbolic of a whole new era of finance or perhaps it is symbolic of the tulip mania that the country is currently in. We'll see which it is. I don't know quite what the answer is. But let me talk to you first about what's going on with this North Korean uh, heist. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Investigators in South Korea are looking into North Korea's possible involvement in a heist from a Bitcoin exchange that collapsed on Tuesday, according to people familiar with the matter, as the sanctions-choked regime develops new ways to raise money. The investigation into the hack led by South Korean law enforcement and a state cybersecurity agency is still in its infancy, and a review of the malware code could take weeks, the people said. But the people said that there were telltale signs and historical evidence that North Korea, which has turned in recent years to increasingly sophisticated financial uh, warfare, was behind the hack of the Seoul-based exchange UBIT. The same cryptocurrency exchange operating under a different name was targeted in April by North Korean hackers, according to sources cited by the journal. Uh, the company that operates UBIT suspended trading and filed for bankruptcy after Tuesday's hack. So here's the problem. Uh, as I've been saying to you, North Korea can get on the Internet just like anybody else. And they are realizing that theft of whether it's of any kind of information is much better if you can just do it through electronic means. You don't have to take any risks to your personnel. It's a much more straightforward proposition to just hack. Now, what stops people in some countries, at least, from trying to hack into international banking system or Bitcoin exchanges or any of that is that there are extradition agreements or in cases where there wouldn't be extradition or we wouldn't be able to necessarily immediately work through law enforcement to get somebody who was a hacker uh, either handed over to us or they wouldn't take care of it themselves because there's or, or they would take care of it themselves because there's rule of law. We usually are able to exert some degree of pressure right, to get them to accept societal and international societal norms and international law when it comes to the Internet. But there are some exceptions to this. We could ask the Russians, hey, hand us over that hacker. And I have a pretty well, given that they've given uh, that they've provided asylum to Edward Snowden, I think we could all guess it's very unlikely that the Russians are going to start handing over uh, high level hackers to us anytime soon, unless for some reason they upset the Russian government. Same thing would be true of China. And because it is that's just because these are states that are large enough and powerful enough that they won't uh, bend to U.S. pressure on some of these issues. And then with North Korea, because it's already a pariah state, there are only there are there are really no options for us. Uh, if somebody is able to operate on North Korean soil and hack into a U.S. bank or a Bitcoin exchange in South Korea or anywhere in the world, for that matter, we can 
you know, do whatever we want at the United Nations. We can get all upset. We can pound the desk, so to speak, but it's not going to do anything. So this is a vision, I think, of the future. This is what North Korea is going to be doing, and it shows you how sanctions are always going to have holes in them. Um, I think the Trump administration is making the right moves by trying to cut North Korea off from the international banking system and and limit the regime's ability to get the hard currency reserves that it so desperately needs for, well, all purposes, but specifically to keep its very expensive nuclear program and its military going. Uh, but they are also in a, an adaptive organism. Uh, the North Koreans are able to look at what's going on with the sanctions regime, and because they don't care about the law, they can find all kinds of uh, criminal enterprises to engage in to raise money and cash around the world. This is also why North Korea is a true menace. Uh, but uh, one of my major concerns about this, and now this is transitioning a bit into Bitcoin, producer Amy and I and Ty have been trying to get a, a – there's a handful of Bitcoin experts that I really want to have on, uh, and they're just – they've been tough to track down. But we, we hopefully in the new year will get some of them to join because – there's only certain people that I really want to have talking to you and present it as an expert on the subject. There's a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, I've got Bitcoins. I know everything. Uh, it's incredibly complicated. It's complicated because it creates a uh, – there are, there are two areas where you have to have a real conceptual and philosophical understanding. And it's in technology, but it's also in currency and money and markets. So uh, uh, perhaps this is an opportunity to give a, a short primer from what I've learned from a lot of reading on Bitcoin. Here's what's going on. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. A cryptocurrency just means that it is a, a digital store of value. And you actually mine Bitcoin through computing power. In the past, it was a lot easier. Now, because of the competition for Bitcoin, I believe you actually would spend more money on electricity and computing efforts to try and make a Bitcoin uh, in a vast majority of circumstances than you would get from the mining of the Bitcoins. But for those who say that it's not money, and this is a, this is a very complicated philosophical area, but for those who say that it's not money, I just say, well, what is a dollar bill and why is that money? It's a piece of paper. Bitcoin is traceable. And Bitcoin also employs a technology called blockchain. And blockchain is a, a fascinating and possibly world-changing kind of technology. It means that a ledger, so uh, think of it like a, a spreadsheet or a, you know, a booklet of information, a ledger of all Bitcoin transactions is kept via blockchain technology. Blockchain means that each and every individual that is involved in any of the transactions has a record on his or her computer of all the transactions. So it's like everybody has the copies of everything that has gone on when it comes to Bitcoin transactions. It is unlike what many people say. They say, oh, it's great for uh, black markets and it got this really bad reputation. Bitcoin, in fact, is highly traceable. It is completely transparent in the sense that you will know about all transactions because it's almost impossible when you think about it to be able to break into all these individual computers around the world 
and change all of the uh, change all of them perfectly and without anyone knowing so that you can alter the record of Bitcoin transactions. So th- those are two different things. And a Bitcoin and blockchain. Blockchain is the technology that is used to keep track of the transactions of Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency. So this would mean that the, the, the big implications for the future are that if you could transfer money easily and from your smartphone to someone anywhere in the world and create absolute trust in that transaction, a lot of middlemen, a lot of third parties all of a sudden no longer really hold meaning. Think major banks. Think some of the institutions that currently get billions and billions of dollars of fees just to create on the one end the belief that if you transfer money to somebody else, there's a record of it. It will actually happen. It will go to that person and it will get done. If Bitcoin means that all you need is an Internet connection, it just completely changes the global financial landscape of money transferring and uh, and banking. It would transform the banking system. So in that way, it is uh, fascinating. And then you immediately start to think about the, or you're brought into the discussion about whether or not Bitcoin has value. Right now, it's uh, well, what's where does it stand right now at the last count? I mean, I could I could tell you officially what the the price of a Bitcoin is. Um, it's been of sixteen thousand right now. So one Bitcoin is sixteen thousand uh, dollars. That's up from less than I think less than a penny many years ago. Uh, and people are very worried that there's a mania going on and that the price could entirely crash. I've also heard people say that if Bitcoin and blockchain technology together are what they are believed to be and that we are in the early stage of of getting to that Bitcoin could be worth many, many times what it currently is, which seems astonishing. But when you think about the rise that it's had in the last year, it's either transforming finance and banking and the global financial system, this technology and, and the notion of cryptocurrencies or it's some kind of a mania and bitcoins could all just crash because you know who who knows you get into a very deep philosophical question though about what is money and people would say oh well money is you know the dollar bills that i have well first of all how many of us even really use money in our day-to-day transactions now you mostly or in many cases at least you use credit cards you pay through your bank account you have a routing number that's the way it's done, right? I mean, no one shows up that I know of in New York City, for example, to pay their rent in cash. And if you did, they'd probably want to know if you're running some kind of a grow operation or something. So people pay using electrons already. Electronic transmissions are, in essence, currency. It's And it starts to get weird. I know you think about this, you're like, well... Paper, which is not even backed by gold anymore because we got off the gold standard, that has value because they say that it does. Why doesn't Bitcoin have value? And you, know, you ask someone that question, and it's very tough to get answers. There's a limited number. I think there's 22 million Bitcoins that, will, that are in total circulation as well. And they really can't be counterfeited because of that blockchain technology. So that's a, a little bit of a backgrounder on bitcoin i am not a bitcoin expert and the people who are there are very few who truly are and we will get one on the show as soon as we can Um, but it's also a tremendous opportunity for rogue 
actors, whether states or individuals, to try and steal. Now that these cryptocurrencies are worth so much money, we are in a new era when it comes to the security of this of this data. And like I said, sure, North Korea, we might know that they hacked a Bitcoin ex- or a cryptocurrency exchange rather in South Korea. Uh, we might know that, but what are we really going to do about it? And how do we stop them? It, is, it was a Bitcoin heist. So North Korea and Bitcoin together. It's like a Sharknado of analytic excellence here on the Buck Sexton Show. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back with much more. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Stay with me. I think President Trump, Brooke, uh, now has the world record for injecting politics uh, into the aftermath of a terror attack. Is he trying to wage something of a culture war? You know, I think we saw the president's true colors today, and, and I'm not sure they were red, white, and blue. How the White House could put out talking points uh, saying that the president was in the right here is just, it's baffling. It's strange. and But they are right in one respect. He has united the country against the views that he espoused today, which were right there on the edge of white nationalism. They're just not going to do this on camera or audio. Why are we even having these briefings or these gaggles in the first place? They won't answer these questions on camera or let us record the audio. I don't know why everybody is going along with this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it just feels like we're we're sort of slowly but surely being dragged into what is a new normal in this country. There's no camera on, Jim. Maybe we should turn the cameras on, Sean. Why don't we turn the cameras on? Jen. Why don't we turn the cameras on? I'm sorry that you have to do it. Jen. Why not turn the cameras on, Sean? They're in the room. The lights are on. So that was kind of a throwback to this year with uh, CNN's Senior White House correspondent. I always love the two. Is there just a White House correspondent? Because they got they got a senior one. So is that like an ego thing? Like I'm the senior White House correspondent, as opposed to the, the just the White House correspondent. Anyway, uh, we, we're going to do some in the next couple of days here. Some of these where we we do a little little trip down memory lane, and sometimes it will involve say the fake news. It'll be various. Media freakouts. This will be our our first uh, of these, but we'll do more tomorrow and the next day. Uh, but the uh, the fake news, CNN, has has had a terrible year as we sit here and talk about how great it is the tax package has gone through and that Republicans are going into 2018, no question, on a high note. Uh, it's also funny to look back and see what we have learned over the course of this year. And in particular, with CNN, we have seen that it doesn't work what they're doing. It doesn't work from the perspective of journalism. It doesn't work from the perspective of ratings. MSNBC, this just came in today. MSNBC has, for the full year now, officially beat CNN in the ratings. That's a pretty... That's pretty remarkable when you think about it uh, that CNN which at one point really considered itself and was thought of as the gold standard in cable news has now been beaten by the the third tier player um, which was having a terrible time in the ratings even a few years ago I mean I remember in the latter stages of the Obama presidency it was like yay Obama I mean nobody really cared anymore and all their shows were just Obama cheerleading shows so it didn't really uh, it just didn't rate. People didn't want to watch it. They didn't care. Uh, but the the fake news has had a bad year. Uh, and as we look on 2017 with the uh, 
with, with an eye to, ta- to taking some conclusions away from all this and thinking about what could be different in the future or what we should remember for the future. It was that despite all of the, the whining, the claims of fascism uh, in the Trump administration and the accusations of white nationalism and the American people, by and large, kind of rejected the CNN agenda for the year. Now, I do think that CNN's belief, I don't think they're going to change at all. Going into 2018, my, I think their belief is that the Mueller probe will go on for a, another full year and that they will be vindicated. That's how ideologically set in all of this they are. You know, there's no Christmas spirit from CNN. They're not they're not letting bygones be bygones with the Trump administration. They will be getting lumps of coal in their stockings this year, but maybe next year they assume that things will be quite different. But they are they've been exposed. It's one of the great uh, one of the great byproducts of the Trump administration and President Trump in the White House is that we now know really what CNN's all about. We have a, a greater uh, perspective with which to approach all things at CNN and, and on other networks like it, too. I'm not just trying to beat up on CNN. MSNBC is a different category. They're wrong all the time, but at least they're honest about who they are. Right? I mean, that, that was always my, my thing about Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. At least Bernie Sanders admits he's a Democrat socialist. Hillary pretends to be something else because she thinks it. Why? It makes her more electable. Uh, Bernie had the benefit of honesty. Straight shooter, baby. Just tell him the truth like it is. So that was that was the reality of, of that race. And I just look now at how uh, the ratings at CNN have crashed. I mean, I, I can see night in and night out. It's like they've got the same panels, the same people. It's just boring. You'll notice they don't even have debates really on air anymore. Because they have to protect their uh, their snowflake anchors and their intellectually wimpy correspondents from having to deal with opposing points of view. It's it's not fun over there anymore, man. I can I can just see it, you know. And they're all everything rides on a Trump impeachment in 2018 for CNN, and it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're they're in ratings trouble. So anyway, Jim Acosta, for your fake newsery, we salute you. Um, and with that. We are going to roll into a break here. I'm going to talk to you about holiday stress. Stay with me for that. I hate to see people getting stressed out over the holiday, but I also totally understand why that can happen. It's a time of year when yeah, we get together with family. For some of us, that can be a bit on the stressful side. It's a time of year when we also, I think, tend to reflect And reflection is a very good thing, in my humble 35-year-old opinion, but it's not a good thing if reflection just becomes an excuse to beat oneself up, to think about all the missed opportunities and mistakes. Uh, I don't know how each and every one of you tends to think of your uh, day-to-day and your careers and your lives, but I certainly tend toward the overcritical instead of the uh, undercritical of myself. So I have to force myself when I take time to reflect back on the year, not to make it an exercise in woulda, shoulda, coulda, and instead look honestly at what has gone well, at where I've 
made progress or uh, made some good improvements into my life and and to try and take joy as much as possible in what has gone right. Uh, there will never be a shortage of things that go wrong. I'm always reminded of the fact that growing up here in New York City and having been exposed to a, a, a fair number of people who don't have the concerns that a vast majority of Americans do. I n- knew plenty of folks growing up who it was clear their families were going to be paying the bills. They weren't going to have to worry about getting that job right out of school or even uh, during college. But they have their own miseries that can creep up. Uh, it's not like it's easy for folks just because uh, they don't have the same economic struggles that you and I do. Uh, so I think that mindset, that's just, I'm using that to illustrate that mindset is so very critical and uh, you don't want to be overcritical of yourself. And it's something that I think it's easy for us to fall into over the holidays. And, you know, I want to talk about fun stuff and we will in the next couple of days, especially in the third hour of the show, I'm planning a, a history of the real St. Nicholas, for example, and maybe some more Christmas history about, you know, the origins of the whole reindeer stuff and all that. But in the meantime, uh, I just was really struck by this Gallup poll that eight in 10 Americans are really afflicted by stress. Uh, You've heard me talking about how mental health and physical health are inextricably linked. And we don't learn this in school, right? In health class, when they they teach you the basics in high school or even before that about, you know, I don't know, medicine and how to take care of yourself and the birds and the bees and all that stuff. Uh, They don't talk to you about uh, mental health. Uh, They don't talk to you about feelings of wellness. And the good news is for many of you listening, um, you derive a tremendous amount of uh, psychological and emotional and, yes, spiritual comfort from a relationship with God. But in a day-to-day sense, in terms of your careers and your jobs and everything else, I know that faith uh, is is fantastic, but sometimes even those of us who have incredibly strong faith need a little more than that to uh, find a way to get through some of the trials and tribulations that stand in our way. And it's important to take a, a proactive approach to all that. Uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound preachy at all. I'm just trying to uh, share what I've picked up from dealing with uh, very different kinds of stress in a couple of very different kinds of careers, one being a, a, a government national security employee and now being here with you on the radio, which I love, but the media business, as I have told you many times, is a disgusting snake pit uh, and not a fun place to be trying to make a living. So stress management is essential. And there are many different ways to do it. And it's not something that can be put off. And I see this among many of my peers uh, where the, the go-to is alcohol. And look, I like to have my tequila a little bit on the weekends and you know, moderation, it's all good. But using too much alcohol as a stress relief is particularly not just bad for the you know, long-term health risks, but all... and. and the relationship damage that it can do and career damage it can do in the short term, but it's not even a good stress reliever. I think very few people 
really know that uh, that the the effect the out the positive effect of alcohol that reduces stress in the short term is really outweighed by once the alcohol is gone uh, your body actually can kind of ramp up some of that stress again and so it becomes a vicious cycle so I would uh, say that you know I've learned to try and take a a positive and proactive approach with uh, some level, some basic level of anti-dad bod fitness, you know, although I will embrace the dad bod soon enough. I'm, I'm fighting for another year or two. And then uh, hopefully Miss Molly's just going to think I'm, I'm great and cuddly. Um, but for a lot of people I know, meditation is really profound. Prayer, obviously, as well. Um, yoga, I have to say, yoga makes me feel like I'm having a heart attack. I, I wish I could say that I have enjoyed um, yoga, but Anyway, they're, they're, it's really important to find out what your particular outlet is. For some people, it was painting. I've maybe mentioned before on the show, although maybe it was a few years ago, that Winston Churchill, to battle his depression, well, one, drank way too much, but also took up painting. Whatever your constructive outlet is, it's really important to establish it and give yourself the chance and the time to do it because stress is corrosive on everything, on your mindset, on your productivity, on your day-to-day. And I think over the holidays in particular, people tend to get really stressed. You know, end of year, bills to pay. You know, how am I doing financially? How am I doing professionally? Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to see my uh, brother-in-law who I have all those annoying political disputes with at the dinner table. And I understand the stress ramps up, but that's why it's also, I think, a really good time to you know make watch some christmas movies you know this is this is a health thing i mean i'm trying to give uh unsolicited and non-expert uh health and, and wellness advice here you know and it's really in a sense i'm speaking to myself here too but you, you've gotta gotta watch some christmas movies got to allow yourself to listen to some christmas music yeah sure eggnog has the calories of like a bacon cheeseburger basically but you know what it's delicious You got to drink some eggnog and allow yourself to recoup and uh, recuperate and and relax somewhat here at the end of the year. Now, I know some of you aren't even going to be on vacation. And so but I just psychologically, when you're home at night, when you're done with work or whenever your schedule allows it, force yourself to be good to yourself over the holidays. It'll allow you to be better to the, the people around you that you care about. And all those other things that you're worried about, the stress at work, the uh, you know, bills that are piling up, it will all be better taken care of. You'll be more equipped to handle them if you take care of yourself first. And, and an essential part of that is stress management. It really, really is. I, I used to think push through, push through, push through. And you know what? I would do that and I would get so sick and I would get so run down. And now I realize that there's a part of this, you know, it's like for those of you who do some uh, weight training, you know, you got to have your rest days. Holidays are rest days, my friends. So give yourself the time um, and allow yourself to relax and, and have some joy, you know, enjoy your time here. That's just my, that's my two cents today on all that. Uh, we're going to get your more than two cents coming up here in just a moment. We will get into some Team Buck Speaks. Maybe time will play some holiday music when we come back. Stay right there. 
Hey team, I just realized I don't even have a Christmas tree up this year. I really need to need to step up my Christmas game a little bit. That's just I thought, well, my family has a beautiful tree and they're in New York, so when I visit my parents and with my siblings, we'll all be able to look at their tree and that'll be great. And, you know, but I probably should have had a tree up, you know. One of those little trees, you know, little mini trees. I could have pulled that off, I think. Anyway, this is where I want to get into some of your thoughts, uh, your analyses, your uh, Christmas wishes and uh, limericks about St. Nick. If you have any of those, that would be extra points. All right, let's see what we have here. This coming into our official team buck at gmail.com inbox. Merry Christmas to the Freedom Hut. Several months ago, you profiled Bottle Works and uh, Black Rifle Coffee. I had never heard of either company, but have shopped with both with great satisfaction. Can you periodically, say quarterly, have a vet-owned company as a guest on your show? It's motivating and makes me so proud to hear how our heroes have transitioned from the battlefield to capitalism. Honestly, it reinforces that we live on the greatest country on earth. You, Tyrone, and producer Amy do outstanding work. You entertain, educate, and motivate. As a 50-year-old Rush Limbaugh baby, you all give me hope that I'll have something worth listening to on whatever app when I'm 90. Shields eye and prayers for our blessed 2018 to the hut. Uh, well, thank you so much for that wonderful email. I do not have a name for the sender up here, um, but thank you for whoever sent that email. I really appreciate it. Andy, with the following. Andy in accounting, it says here. Hi, Buck. I'm just listening to your podcast when you were talking about how we're too connected. I must say, I'm 31 and am a zero on social media. I was on Facebook, but I got involved in too many political arguments. Some of my friends do nothing but thumb through updated. I'm very happy not to be on social media. I just don't care what other people think, except, of course, Buck Sexton. Well, Andy, you're very kind, and I think you are wise to not get too sucked into the social media vortex. You know, it's really just for close friends and family and connecting with the rest of the team here in the Freedom Hut, Team Buck. All right, uh, Norb writes in, love your impersonations and history lessons. You've been, <laughs> you've been slacking on history lessons. I want more. Norb, I hear you loud and clear. More history coming, and it'll be even in a full podcast format in January in the new year. Uh, the podcast is called Shields High. So those of you who already know the Buck Sexton show will know where that comes from, but also it'll be for anybody who likes history. It's not going to be, oh, let me talk politics and then get into history. That's this show. It'll be straight up history stories and picking the coolest battles, heroes, weapons, all that stuff. That's the plan. Okay. Now we have another one coming in. Uh, Robbie writes, come on, Ty, you're not considering a great Commonwealth Super Bowl Eagles beat the Steelers 35 to 31. I'm going to give Ty the floor for a minute here to let him weigh in on that. And also the question yesterday about football stuff that I don't even know what he's talking about. Tyrone, my friend, the floor is yours. To answer the question, I am considering a all Commonwealth Super Bowl Eagles and Steelers. But with the Eagles quarterback hurt, I'm now taking everything week by week while the Steelers are probably the second most likely team behind the Patriots to make it in. 
who knows if the referees know what they're doing, they would have won last week. To answer the question from yesterday about the BCS playoffs, I think the issue is with these uh, quote-unquote student athletes uh, is they don't know what they're playing for. When the playoffs started, they said it was about the most deserving the most deserving four teams. Now they've changed it to, I guess, the best four teams. So to me, I do believe that Alabama was better than Ohio State. But if you look at the resume, Ohio State was more deserving. So I think what they need to do is decide what they really want to do with these kids. Do they want to make it best or do they want to make it most deserving so that the kids know what they're playing for? All right, another email in here from Rick, who is original Saturday squad. Buck, I completely agree that reaching out to those with whom we've either lost touch uh, can have amazing results. Here's my example. I had a client about, about five years ago that subsequently became a friend. We didn't hang out much, but we had a strong connection that was important to me. His honesty for passion for his, uh, his honesty and passion for his faith and life inspired me. Uh, he was one of the true friends I made while living in Florida. When I decided to move to Texas two years ago, I gave him a call to let him know how thankful I was for his friendship and how how I respected the life he uh, leads, living his values each day for all to see. After I finished, there was short silence on the line. When he first tried to respond, it was through tears that I could hear in his voice. He thanked me for my words and said that they could not have come at a better time as his father had passed away less than a fortnight ago and that he and his wife were having a rough time of it. He said that my call and my words really helped. My innocuous little call to a friend made a difference in ways I never could have anticipated. Two years on my friend's family has grown from two to three and his career is flourishing. I celebrate that with them now remembering back to my phone call. I neither know nor care how great or little a difference it made for him in the grand scheme of things. I just know that it helped him, and I'm thankful that it brought us a bit closer, even though we now live geographically further apart. So my Christmas wish for Team Buck is that we all reach out to friends or family with whom we haven't connected for too long. It might just end up being the best gift you give this Christmas. Shield tie, Rick, OSS. And he says, Merry Christmas, Buck, to you, Miss Molly, and your whole family. Well, Rick, thank you for the very kind and, and inspiring note. Uh, greatly appreciate it and means a lot. Merry Christmas to you, too. Alan writes in this one on Facebook. And for those wondering, you can uh, contact us here in the Freedom Hut. Send us a note with your thoughts, whatever you want to tell us, at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Alan writes, you are asking about whether it was okay for a hug or a high five. I'll take a respectable nod between equals. How about that? LOL. Well, Alan, you are getting your nod between equals right now, my friend. Thank you very much for writing in. And Merry Christmas. Lonnie writes in with the following. Hey, Buck, are you doing a poll on the new name for Team Buck Speaks? What about Team Buck's Corner? Well, Lonnie, Team Buck's Corner would certainly work as an option. So uh, I will put that on the list. Thank you so much for writing in. Merry Christmas to you. Chris writes in with the following, Buck, why are you body shaming me? I sport an advanced dad bod with all the bells and whistles. Thank you very much. Dads are people too. Chris, I totally hear you. And uh, I tremendous respect for actually being a dad. I, I'm still working on that. But uh, don't worry, I'm, 
I'm an honorary dad bod member too, my friend. Especially after uh, this this fall, I really I really went after the French fries, the chocolate, and the whole milk with reckless abandon. Uh, we have uh, well, actually, I don't really have time to get into another one. We've got so many more notes, but I'll save some for tomorrow and obviously Friday, which will be our last show here in the Freedom Hut of 2017. It's crazy to say it out loud. Uh, please do uh, share the podcast with friends. Uh, tell people about the show over the holiday. Uh, we grow. We have more and more folks that are tuning in and becoming a part of Team Buck because those of you who listen care about what we're doing here every day in the hut, and you know that we rely on you to spread the word. So take that holiday opportunity to say, hey, this Buck guy, give him a shot. And you're going to hear me repeating that in the next few days. Hope you don't mind. All right, team, have a great rest of your day or evening. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.